think the dog was yakking on a bone. I'm going to do that again. Is he yakking on a bone? No, he's just yakking. Does he have a dry cough? Well, yeah, I'm afraid he does. Oh my god, the dog's got coronavirus. Hercules, do you have a fever? He's peaked because you're walking him 12 times a day. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Don't Touch Your Face, Foreign Policy's daily podcast on the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Amy McKinnon. My usual co-host James Palmer is feeling a little bit under the weather today and so he's resting up. So I'll be flying solo again. On today's episode, we're going to look at Iceland, which has one of the highest per capita rates of coronavirus cases in the world. Now, there's actually some good news that comes as part of that, and that it's provided a rich opportunity for studying the virus. But there's also some bad news as well. And to help explain that, I'll be joined by Jelena Cirich, a journalist with the Iceland Review. But first this. The world is changing in ways that affect your life and your business. Do you have the intelligence you need? Now, FP is offering Insider. With a new FP Insider subscription, you will get all of FP's content plus exclusive access to data-driven intelligence, power maps that distill complex issues, in-depth special reports, and conference calls on the biggest stories and trends. Get global insight you can bank on. Subscribe to FP Insider today at foreignpolicy.com slash FP Insider. When you read or watch news reports about the coronavirus, you'll see a lot of people talk about known cases of the virus or confirmed cases. And that's because it's actually really hard to know for sure how many people have contracted the virus. While some people who get it will become really sick with a cough or a fever, others have no symptoms at all, which is really kind of terrifying. But what we do know is that the more testing you do, the more cases you will find and the easier it is to isolate those people and those that they've been in contact with so they don't go out and infect others. Now, this strategy of widespread testing and contact tracing was used in South Korea, where they had a significant outbreak, but they were able to contain it without shutting down the country. Last week, President Trump and Dr. Deborah Bricks, the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, both pointed out that the United States has now done more tests than South Korea. But while this is true, bear in mind that the U.S. population is six times larger than South Korea. So when it comes to per capita testing, the United States is still way behind. One country that has tested one of the highest percentages of its population is Iceland. And the company which is leading much of this testing, Decode Genetics, is aiming to ramp this up even further to test a third of the Icelandic population. Now, this research being done in Iceland could have some pretty profound implications for our understanding of the virus and how it spreads. To learn more, I spoke over Skype to Jelena Cirich, a journalist with the Iceland Review. So Iceland has one of the world's highest per capita infection rates of coronavirus. Are Icelanders just extremely unlucky or is there something else going on here? So because our population is so small, uh, just over 360,000, we actually, we tend to win all of these kind of per capita competitions. You may have heard Iceland has the most books published per capita. Iceland has, you know, the most musicians per capita. 
so I think when a population is as small as ours is, then of course these statistics will be sort of skewed. I sure. mean, we could say Iceland has the most capital cities per capita. That doesn't mean we have 25 of them. It just <laughs> means we have a small population. And I understand that Iceland has done some of also winning a per capita title has done some of the most testing per capita of anywhere in the world. What have you been learning through this testing? Uh, that's right. That is partially thanks to a private medical research company called Decode Genetics, which is based in Reykjavik. They have been doing testing, uh, which has also been among the general population, so people who are asymptomatic. Hmm. And that's helped us uh, kind of bring up those testing numbers. And what that gives us in Iceland is a, somewhat of a clearer picture of how the virus is spreading through the general population and can maybe, hopefully, help give us clearer statistics on just how infectious it is and how severe symptoms are uh, and what the mortality rates are more accurately because we're getting a clearer sample of everybody rather than just people who have been infected or who are showing uh, stronger symptoms. So it sounds like that could be some really valuable knowledge for the rest of the world. Have there been any unusual discoveries in decogenetics research? Uh, yeah, so I think the main goal of the research is really to help the entire world globally deal with the pandemic and have more valuable information to build actions on. Uh, some of the things Decode has found, for example, is that the virus arrived in Iceland from various places, although most of the initial actions were focused on uh, quarantining people coming from Italy and Austria and the Alps region. Uh, the virus also arrived from England and a few cases arrived from the States as well. So by isolating different strains of the virus, they've been able to determine where they've come from. Uh, there was one man who was found to be carrying two different strains of the virus, wow. uh, which is really interesting. And by isolating these different strains, we can also see what their differences are in terms of how contagious they are compared to each other or how strong the symptoms might present in different strains of the virus. And do people in Iceland feel confident about the government's handling of the pandemic so far? I would say in general, people are very trusting of the government and have faith in the response that's been carried out so far. One really reassuring statistic is that almost 50% of the cases that have been confirmed were already in quarantine once they were confirmed, mm. meaning that those people were less likely to spread the virus. We have a whole team of people who are modeling uh, how the virus is likely to spread in the country, and we're showing that our growth has not actually become exponential due to these early measures of quarantining people who have been confirmed and people who have uh, likely been exposed to the virus. Mm -hmm. And what measures have been implemented to try and slow the spread of the virus? So one is that people returning from abroad are quarantined at home for two weeks uh, in order to prevent spread of the virus in case they are infected. Uh, there is a gathering ban on groups over 20, meaning that any larger groups are not allowed to gather mm -hmm. and smaller groups must maintain a distance of at least two meters between people. Uh, many community centers and public areas are closed, so swimming pools, museums, bars and clubs are all closed. 
Uh, although we don't have a complete lockdown, we do have some restaurants still open, mostly doing takeaway and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, and we have actually elementary schools and preschools remain open. And the numbers here in Iceland have shown very low rates of infection among children. And it's just believed that keeping those schools open is both beneficial for children and families to keep their routine and also to help frontline workers uh, have childcare and be able to get to work and do those important jobs that we still need to keep going. Of course. And what about tourism? Has Have the borders closed to, to flights in and out? So, yeah, we can pretty much say that tourism has come to a complete stop, but the government has implemented measures already to help companies and individuals who are facing work shortages or closures of their companies. Uh, so one of the things the government is doing in response to that is if companies reduce employees' work rates to 25% of full-time rather than full-time, then the government will pay the remaining 75% of their salaries. And this is a measure intended to encourage companies to keep their employees Mm -hmm. and instead of laying them off. And what about the healthcare system? Is there confidence that it could handle this if there is a spike in infections? So based on the most recent modeling, I would say, yeah, there is quite a high level of confidence that the healthcare system can manage this and measures have been put in place as early as January to ensure that there is an increase in capacity. And those measures include things like setting aside a newly built nursing home to make sure that there are extra beds. Hmm. Uh, There has been actually another hospital that's been set aside. Uh, just as sort of extra space in case the number of of people who need to be hospitalized spikes. Uh, There's also a sort of reserve of nurses and doctors where people who are not currently working in healthcare but who have that education, they can sign up to be part of a reserve force. That was Yelena Ciric speaking over Skype. Now before I go, if you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the podcast today head over to foreignpolicy.com and look for today's episode page. In the show notes, I'll include links to articles where you can learn more about the day's topic. And don't forget that we want to hear from you. Send us your questions, your comments, your suggestions, your quarantine recipes and book recommendations, whatever, to don'ttouchyourface at foreignpolicy.com. That's it for today. I'm Amy McKinnon. Our show is produced by Darcy Palder and Dan Haverty and is edited by Rob Sachs. Our web team includes Laurie Kelly and Kelly Kimball. Executive producer for news and podcasts at Foreign Policy is Dan Efron. Until next time, please remember to wash your hands thoroughly and don't touch your face. <laughs>